He made America a better place, and he gave his life for doing so. On today's podcast, we'll look at the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and how that legacy can help heal America today. Welcome to Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. Hello, I'm Ray Notgrass. In these podcasts, I'm excited about sharing ideas, information, and perspectives on subjects you want to know more about. We plan to post these podcasts on the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month. Let's get started. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. was the leading spokesman for civil rights for black Americans in the 1950s and 1960s. He acted self-sacrificially to make life for black Americans, and really for all Americans, more fair and just. King's birthday was January 15th. In 1983, Congress designated the third Monday of January as a federal holiday to honor Dr. King, So this is a good time to take note of King's life and his contribution to American society. King was born January 15, 1929. He was the son, grandson, and great-grandson of Baptist ministers. He was named Michael, but his father changed his name to Martin when he was five years old. His father, who came to be called Daddy King, was pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Young Martin grew up not only during the Depression, but in the segregated South, and, I might add, the largely segregated America. Let me explain some of what that meant. White Americans and black Americans generally lived separate lives. In many places, this separation was more than custom. It was law. In many places, black children and white children were not allowed to attend the same schools. King attended segregated schools in Atlanta. In some areas of the country, black persons and white persons did not use the same restrooms or drinking fountains in public buildings, such as a county courthouse. That's something I remember in the courthouse in my southern hometown. I also remember a local laundromat that had separate entrances that led into separate facilities for black customers and white customers. Department stores that had lunch counters did not serve black customers. Black persons did not serve on juries. Very few black citizens were even able to vote in southern states. Today, we find such practices unimaginable in America. This change is a testament to the work of Martin Luther King, Jr. and many other civil rights workers, some of whom literally laid down their lives to make our country more just. King graduated from Morehouse College in Atlanta and then Crozier Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. At Crozier, he learned about the philosophy of nonviolence that Mohandas Gandhi followed. King went on to earn a doctorate from Boston University. In 1953, King married Coretta Scott. The couple had four children. King became pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama in 1954. 
King's overriding concern was helping black Americans gain equal rights. In Montgomery and other southern cities, black residents formed groups to put peaceful pressure on white society to change laws and customs, really for white citizens to change their hearts and minds and to see their black fellow citizens as equals. One approach that some black Americans pursued was to bring court cases designed to overturn segregationist laws. Some cases made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. The court slowly started to overturn such laws, such as its 1950 decision outlawing segregated law schools in Texas. In 1954, a unanimous Supreme Court handed down its decision in the case of Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. The court said that lawfully mandated separate facilities for the races did not provide the equal protection under the law that the Constitution guaranteed. The court said that separate schools were inherently unequal. The next year, the court ruled that integration of schools was to proceed with all deliberate speed. The fact of the matter was, however, that states hardly moved at all to integrate schools and to create a more equitable society. States simply ignored the ruling, and the federal government did not pursue enforcement of it. In my southern hometown, for instance, it was not until 15 years later, in 1969, that our schools were integrated. Instead, white citizens in many southern communities decided to offer what came to be called massive resistance to even the slow movement toward desegregation. In these conditions, with the growing conflict over black civil rights, the first event in which King's involvement gained national attention was the Montgomery bus boycott that began in late 1955. Rosa Parks, a seamstress who had taken part in civil rights planning meetings, refused to give up her seat on a city bus to a white person, which is what the law required her to do. She was arrested, and in response, the black community of Montgomery began a boycott of the bus system in protest. Black citizens organized carpools and made other arrangements to get around town and get to their jobs. The bus system was a private company, and the loss of revenue seriously threatened its continued operation. King was the leader of the boycott, he was its public voice, and he gave encouragement for black persons to maintain the boycott. The purpose of the boycott was to convince the city government to change the law to permit black passengers to sit anywhere on a bus and not to have to give up their seats to white passengers, in other words, to have the same rights that white persons had. During the boycott, King's home was bombed and severely damaged but none of his family was hurt. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down the city's segregation ordinance in late 1956. Black persons resumed riding on city buses. King went on to play major roles in civil rights protests in many other cities. He spoke often in churches and other settings to encourage black Americans and to urge state and local governments to change their laws. He helped to organize the Southern Christian Leadership Conference for black ministers and other leaders in black communities to coordinate their efforts. King always advocated nonviolent protests against discrimination. In 1960, King moved to Atlanta to become co-pastor at Ebenezer with his father. He devoted even more of his energies to the civil rights movement. <music> 
King supported lunch counter sit-ins by black college students at an Atlanta department store. King was arrested, but the charge was dropped. But police later took him into custody for violating his probation because of a traffic violation, and he was sent to a state prison farm. Presidential candidate John F. Kennedy called Mrs. King, and some of Kennedy's staff arranged to get King released. As the civil rights movement gained momentum, other black Americans played major roles in improving the civil rights of black citizens. Unfortunately, violent resistance to the movement grew also. For instance, in 1962, James Meredith sought to integrate the all-white University of Mississippi in Oxford. In the unrest that took place, two people were killed. Federal troops were sent to the campus and stayed there for a year. Meredith was protected by federal marshals. In the spring of 1963, King led civil rights demonstrations in Birmingham, Alabama. Police unleashed dogs and fire hoses on demonstrators. King was jailed along with many others. White ministers in the city published a letter saying that the demonstrations were, in their words, unwise and untimely. King responded with an eloquent letter he wrote in jail that explained his purpose and the need for changes in how America operated. King, by the way, was arrested 30 times during his peaceful civil rights activities. Later in 1963, two black students sought to integrate the University of Alabama. Alabama Governor George Wallace literally stood in the doorway of the building where they were to register and made a speech. When federal officials insisted that he move out of the way, he did so, and the students enrolled at the university. King helped organize the March on Washington in August of 1963. Some 200,000 persons gathered in front of the Lincoln Memorial to show their support for civil rights. The program included many performers and speakers, but the highlight of the event was the I Have a Dream speech by Dr. King. It was one of the most moving and significant speeches in American history. In one memorable line in the speech, King proclaimed a truth that all Americans desperately need to hear today. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I might add that this speech, as well as excerpts from the letter from a Birmingham jail, are in the resource book American Voices, which is a component of the high school Exploring America curriculum from Notgrass History. These documents are well worth reading. Tragically, the month after the March on Washington, violence raised its ugly head again. On a Sunday morning in September, a powerful bomb exploded at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, killing four little girls who were there for Sunday school. It was during these turbulent times that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas, on November 22, 1963. There is no indication that Kennedy's stance on civil rights was a factor in the assassin's motivation, but Kennedy's death shows the violence and uncertainty of the times. In June of 1964, three civil rights workers were murdered in Mississippi. It was 41 years before anyone was tried or convicted for these murders. During these difficult years, 
A few white Americans threatened violence and sometimes committed acts of violence against black persons who tried to register to vote. Some states used unequal registration requirements for black citizens and white citizens. Black workers were sometimes fired from their jobs if they took part in desegregation meetings. This kind of resistance to civil rights for black Americans was all too common. A few days after the murders in Mississippi, King and other civil rights advocates won a great victory when Congress passed the landmark Civil Rights Act. Near the end of 1964, King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. However, the Civil Rights Act still did not do enough to guarantee equal voting rights. Civil rights leaders turned their focus to that issue. In March 1965, leaders planned a series of marches from Selma to Montgomery. The first march became Bloody Sunday, where Selma police and Alabama state troopers viciously beat marchers. King was not present at this march, although he did participate in later marches. Later that year, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act. Some black Americans became impatient with King's nonviolent approach. They began to advocate more direct action, even violence if necessary. Terrible riots in the Watts area of Los Angeles in August 1965 showed the growing impatience that some black Americans felt with the pace of progress in civil rights. King organized rallies to oppose segregation and discrimination in Chicago, but he met strong opposition from the Democratic mayor of the city, Richard Daley. In 1967, King began speaking out against American involvement in Vietnam. Then he started to work against poverty and unemployment. It was during this phase of his work that he went to Memphis to encourage sanitation workers who were on strike in the city. It was there on April 4, 1968, standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, that an assassin's bullet struck down Dr. King. He was 39 years old. Riots erupted in dozens of cities across the country. We honor Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. because he helped make America a better country. Others might have filled the role if he hadn't, but the point is that he did, even at the cost of his life. For many years during his life, many white persons and even some black persons opposed King's efforts. Some black Americans feared that efforts to change the status quo would cause a backlash by white persons. As we mentioned earlier, other black Americans became impatient with the nonviolent approach and advocated destructive action to achieve their goals. King was not perfect, he had flaws, but he is an example of the difference that even imperfect people can make. After all, imperfect people are all we have to work with. King had a vision, as he put it, a dream, of how things could be and should be in our country. And America is a different and better place because of his leadership, courage, and sacrifice, and also the leadership, courage, and sacrifice of other civil rights leaders. All black citizens can vote now. Black persons and people of other ethnic backgrounds can hold public office and serve on juries in every part of America. These facts seem almost too obvious to mention, but they are an accepted part of American life because of the work of King and other civil rights leaders and workers. Two moving incidents show how far we've come and prove the legacy of Dr. King. 
On a Sunday morning in 1979, a man in a wheelchair rolled down the aisle of the Dexter Avenue Church in Montgomery, where King had once served as minister. The man was former Alabama Governor George Wallace, who had been paralyzed in a 1972 assassination attempt. A fierce segregationist early in his career, Wallace sat in his wheelchair before the congregation and apologized for his previous stance. He said, I have learned what suffering means. I think I can understand some of the pain black people have come to endure. I know I contributed to that pain, and I can only ask for forgiveness. By and large, the people of that congregation forgave him. He was re-elected as governor with wide support from black voters. In his later terms as governor, Wallace appointed more black persons to state offices than any other Alabama governor. Wallace died in 1998. George Wallace's daughter, Peggy, grew up to become a strong advocate for civil rights. She became a close friend of Congressman John Lewis, a longtime worker for civil rights. In 2017, she gave a speech in Montgomery where Lewis was present. She encouraged justice, equality, and a commitment to serve our great country. After her speech, the moderator of the event asked Congressman Lewis to reflect on George Wallace's life. John Lewis, this was John Lewis, civil rights activist, remember, looked at Peggy and said, how could I say anything bad about George Wallace when this is his daughter? After the years of division, resentment, and hatred, these events were occasions for reconciliation and redemption, made possible by people such as Martin Luther King, Jr. These dramatic incidents in the lives of George Wallace and his daughter show us that people can change and that reconciliation is possible. Our country is not the same as it was in the 1950s and 1960s. I know, I was living in the South at the time. Although much remains to be done, we have come a long way. Isn't it time now to honor King's work and legacy? Isn't it time to heal our divisions and not deepen them? Isn't it time that we all work together to expand his dream so that all Americans, black Americans, white Americans, and those of every ethnicity live in a nation where no one is judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. America's currency proclaims e pluribus unum, out of many, one. America is a land of many. Martin Luther King Jr. encouraged us to be one. Let's continue that legacy. I'm Ray Notgrass. Thank you for exploring history with me today. This has been Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, and please leave a rating and review so that we can reach more people with our episodes. If you want to learn about new homeschool resources and opportunities from Notgrass History, you can sign up for our email newsletter at exploringhistorypodcast.com. Be on the lookout for our next podcast, scheduled to release January 25th. This program was produced by me, Titus Anderson. Thanks for listening.